to Thrive Church Online. My name is Kathy. I'm going to be your online host for today. If it's your first time here, you're a VIP, so please let us know by texting new at 604-285-5770 and we'll mail you your very own Thrive stainless steel water bottle. Parents, don't forget to go to mythrive.info slash thrivekids to access the Thrive Kids curriculum. There you can find the worship video, a lesson video, a resource sheet that you can download, print, and do with your kids. And there's going to be Zoom classes every Sunday from between 1045 to 1115 a.m. We love a proactive church. So this week, I would love to know what your favorite movie is. Because of COVID, I've been staying in all the time and watching tons of movies, and I'm running out of things to watch. So I would love a movie recommendation. So what is your favorite movie? My favorite movie is Taken 1. Not two or three, but Taken 1. Because I thought it was really heartwarming the lengths that the father went to save his daughter. What is your favorite movie? Amazing! We'd love to see all your beautiful faces. Take a selfie of yourself, tune in today, and post it on your social media using hashtag ThriveChurchOnline. Are you ready for today's message? I'm now going to pass the time over to Pastor JB, and I'll see you all later. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB. I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive, and it gives me so much pleasure to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, we are especially thrilled that you're here. We hope you make yourself right at home. In fact, we've got a special gift to give to you just to say thank you so much for spending your day with us today. If you want to go to mythrive.info and click the button new to Thrive, we have a stainless steel Thrive Church water bottle that we would love to send straight to your door just as a way to say thanks so much for joining us today. Can we give all of our VIPs, our, our first time guests, a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? It's so good to have you here. In fact, we've got a saying here at Thrive. It's a welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so would you just do this right now in your chat rooms with the people beside you? Would you greet one another? Would you welcome one another? Would you say it's great to see you here? Would you give your neighbor, if there's one there, a, a, a hug, a handshake, a, a, a high five, maybe an air hug, whatever's appropriate. Let's welcome another to the house of God today. You guys are an amazing church, and it's so good to have you here today. We're going to get right into the message right now. I'm super excited to give it to you. And so if you have your Bibles right now, it's time to grab that. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles. Maybe yours is a paper Bible like mine. Maybe it's a phone that you download the Bible into. Either way is cool. We're just going to make this proclamation together. This is a fun way that we do every week at Thrive to get our hearts ready for the message. And so I would invite you to do this right now. Would you say this out loud with me? Let's, we're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Hey, and by the way, if you are here and you're new to church, you're new to the Bible, you're new to Jesus, you're coming in from another religion, then we are just so incredibly thrilled that you are here. And we hope you find that Thrive Church is a safe place for you, a place that you can call home, a place where you can find community, a place where you can find some hope and some encouragement to help you along the way. And if you've got questions, we hope that maybe along the way, either today in our message or through our uh, our, our, our My Thrive info page where you can find all sorts of next steps you can take that you'll find maybe some answers to the questions that you are asking. We're so glad that you're here and let's get ready for an amazing time together. See, we're doing a series here at Thrive right now. It's called Heart at Rest. And in this series, we're talking about how to have a rested heart in a restless world. When there's so much going on that may cause us to have a lack of peace, cause us to worry, cause us to be afraid, cause us to not be at rest, how can we still have a rested heart? Well, believe it or not, the Bible says so much about how to have a rested heart in a restless world. And that's what we're exploring in this series called Heart at Rest. Would you turn your name and say, you can have a heart at rest? 
You can have a heart at rest. And today I'm super excited to give you the next episode of this series. If you've missed any of our previous episodes, you can always go to our Thrive Church Vancouver podcast, check out our YouTube page. We love to introduce you to that. But today we're looking at episode five of our Heart at Rest series. And because we love God's word, I want to encourage you to to grab your Bibles and turn to, flip to, scroll to the book of Zechariah. Yeah, the book of Zechariah. If you're not sure where the book of Zechariah is, don't fret, don't worry. A lot of people don't. Even people who've been you know, Christians for a long time often don't really know exactly where the book of Zechariah is. So let me give you a hint or a tip. Is go to your New Testament. That's the second half of your Bible. Start at the very beginning of your New Testament. That's the Gospel of Matthew. And just go back two books. Go back two books and you'll land in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 3 together today. Before we read Zechariah, chapter three, let me tell you this. When I was growing up, I was a big fan of one particular actor. His name is Tom Cruise. And I used to think he was just the most good looking guy. I remember I went to a barber shop and I, I, I brought a picture of Tom Cruise from Mission Impossible 1. And I said, can you make me look like this? And the barber said, I can make your hair look like that, but I can't make your face look like that. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take it. I'll, that's okay. I'll take, I'll take the hair. I'll take the hair. And so I went to prom. I remember with a Mission Impossible 1 Tom Cruise haircut or as close to that as I could find. Uh, and you know, if you would have asked me, what's my favorite Tom Cruise movie? I would tell you that my favorite Tom Cruise movie is A Few Good Men. Uh, It's a courtroom kind of movie. And, uh, you know, it's that thing where, you know, Tom Cruise, he's he's playing this defense lawyer who is, you know, representing these two young Marines who are charged with murder. They're possibly going to be condemned to jail for the rest of their lives. And so he's defending them. There's a prosecutor played by Kevin Bacon who wants to charge them with these crimes. And there's this big battle for these young men's lives. And there's this iconic scene where, you know, it's, it's between Tom Cruise, the lawyer, and Jack Nicholson, who's one of the witnesses. And you know, Tom Cruise, he gets up on the stand and he goes, I want the truth. And then Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle that truth. You know, you know that part? It's an iconic Hollywood scene. And why do I mention that? Why do I mention this movie where two young men are facing the possibility of being condemned to a life in prison? It's because today, let me give you the topic or the title to today's message. It is rest from condemnation nation. Rest from condemnation. See, what is, what is condemnation? Let me tell it to you this way. To condemn means to find fault with something and to declare it to be unacceptable and unworthy. To condemn means to find fault with something and to declare it to be unacceptable and unworthy. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say rest from condemnation, what I mean is not that we're never to judge anything as good or bad. That, you know, all things are lawful. Anything goes. You know, as, as the fact is that as a just society, we want to, you know, to, we want to say that there are certain things that are wrong. Child abuse is wrong. Sex, sexual abuse is wrong. Slavery is wrong. You know, terrorism is wrong. Racism is wrong. You know, th- these are things that we can stand up and say, this is wrong. So when I say, you know, the rest from condemnation, I don't mean, oh, you can't judge anything or anything uh, that people do ever at all. But what I'm saying is this, when I say rest from condemnation, what I mean is this, is that what is condemnation? Condemnation is the state of being judged. Condemnation is the state of being declared as unacceptable, unworthy. And I'm here to tell you today, God never made for you to live in a state of constant condemnation. He didn't make you to feel like you're all the time being judged, that all the time you're being declared unacceptable, unworthy. Do you struggle with condemnation? You know, the fact is condemnation comes up in various forms. Let me give you a few clues that maybe you struggle from time to time with condemnation. Clue number one is that you often think that you often think condemning thoughts about yourself is that from time to time, you know, you can find yourself thinking things like, oh, I'm such a bad person. I'm such a bad mom. I'm such a bad dad. I'm such a bad, you know, son. I'm bad, such a bad daughter. You know, where you say stuff like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't measure up or I'll never amount to anything or how can anybody love me or I'm so unlovable or, or does my life even matter or, or I'm, you know, I, I, I'm worthless. It's like you're declaring this self-condemning sentence over your life. Have you ever done that before? Is if you've done that before, then that could be a clue that you struggle with a little bit of consciousness condemnation. Even the church, in church life, sometimes people can fall into condemnation. They'll, they'll say, oh, that person speaks in tongues, but I don't speak in tongues. Am 
I a second-rate Christian? Is, did, did, did that mean that God loves that person more than he loves me? Can I tell you this? If you've ever thought that way, don't ever think that way again. Because the fact is God loves you just the way that you are. The gift of tongues, for example, is a gift that he gives to some people, but not every Christian's meant to have the gift of tongues. And so if you don't receive the gift of tongues, it's okay. You can certainly ask for it. I believe that we want to ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if God, for some reason, doesn't give it to you when you ask, at the moment that you ask it, or if he never gives it to you, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It simply means he's got a better plan. Amen. And so, so you weren't made to live under constant condemnation by thinking condemning thoughts about yourself. There's a second one, which is clue number two, is that you're often reminded of a mistake or a failure that you experienced is that you're often thinking back to the past about something that you did, something that you said that you really regret, and sometimes you think, how could God ever forgive me for that? How could I ever forgive myself for that? If, you, if that's you, then you might struggle with condemnation. Clue number three is that you've internalized the hurtful words or actions of other people. Is that maybe someone did something extremely hurtful to you. Maybe they said something extremely hurtful to you. Maybe it was long, long ago. Maybe someone abandoned you. Someone left you. Someone betrayed you. Someone said some things that were just totally totally wrong about you and you've carried that for a long time if that's you and you've internalized it you've never really gotten over it then there, there could be a sense of condemnation that you walk around with and the fact is this if you relate to any of these situations then maybe just maybe you're living under some condemnation today and see what does condemnation have to do with a restless heart the fact is it has everything to do with a restless heart here are four problems that condemnation brings and that keeps us from having a heart at rest. Problem number one, when we live under condemnation, we can find ourselves unable to live a productive, joyful life. Is that if you are always living under condemnation, you're often thinking condemning thoughts about yourself. You're often thinking about the ways you're, you don't measure up, the ways that you messed up, the ways that you failed, or things the, way, the ways that other people hurt you, and you're living under this condemnation, then very likely you're going to have a tough time enjoying your life. You're going to have a tough time you know, living life to its fullest, have a tough time being as productive as you were made to be. There's going to likely be a lack of focus. You might have a tough time focusing at work or in your studies. You might have a tough time having confidence about anything. You might find that it's hard to concentrate on certain things. You might struggle with depression. You might struggle with hopelessness. You know, when a person lives under condemnation, oftentimes they think so low about themselves that they just have, they, they don't even want to dream about the future. Like, why, why should I even bother thinking about the future because of the way that I'm living right now? What, what, what's the point of even living? Sometimes people think. And see, it's, it's not a coincidence that when a house is unfit to live in, or a building is unfit for use, what does the government call that? They call that a condemned building. It's a condemned house. Do you feel like your life is sometimes like this condemned house where it's just unfit to live? And you're like, you know, it's, it's useless. It's just sitting there, but it's not for any purpose. If that's you, then that's a problem that comes with condemnation. Number two, problem number two, is when we live under condemnation, we can gravitate toward self-hatred and self-harm. Is that when a person lives under condemnation, there is this guilt and the shame that they experience that causes them to think that they need to punish themselves, either consciously or subconsciously. They think, I need to punish myself. I need to harm myself. In some ways, they think, you know, if I harm myself in some way, it'll numb the pain in other ways for you. And so they might go to alcohol or drugs or some other addictive substance, or they might go through, you know, times when they're binging on certain things, like normal things, like food or Netflix or, 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 or exercise. They take these normal things and they turn them into this binging thing where, where it's like a way just simply to numb the pain so they're not feeling so much shame and guilt anymore. And, and see, they might try to express their pain through, you know, physically hurting themselves. Sometimes in the very worst case scenario, they want to, to completely take their life. You know, for example, the, you know, Judas in the Gospels. Judas is one of Jesus' disciples. He, of course, is known for betraying Jesus. And one of the things that is quite heartbreaking about Judas is that after Judas betrayed Jesus, he felt so condemned. He felt so awful about it. And he was looking for hope. He went back to the church leaders at the time, that the teachers, the Pharisees, the high priests, he went back to them with all this guilt on him and all this condemnation on him. And he was looking for hope. He's like, I've betrayed innocent blood. I've sinned. What have I done? And I think he was hoping that somehow they would give him a sense of hope. And you know what they said? These, these church leaders said, you know what? What's that to us? That's your responsibility. 
And he went away feeling so condemned, he hung himself, and that's how he died. And see, that's the thing, is that when we live under condemnation and we can't find any hope anywhere, it causes us to gravitate towards self-hatred, towards self-harm. We think, I'm useless, I'm hopeless, what's the use of even living anymore? Number three is when we live under condemnation, we tend to isolate ourselves from people is that when we live under condemnation, it doesn't just affect us, but it affects the way we relate to others. It affects our relationships, especially with those close to us, our family, our closest friends, the people we work with. And see, because a condemned person feels so bad about themselves, sometimes they have a really tough time being real with others. They become experts at pretending, experts at looking a certain way, whether it's on social media or with other people. It's like they, they guard, they put this big wall around them so as to protect themselves from ever being exposed, ever being seen for who they really are because they think if, if someone finds out who I really am, they're going to reject me. And see, and, and some people, they make it really good at pretending. Other people, they get, because of condemnation, they tend to what's called self-sabotage. They, 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 they start to, you know, you know, settle for less than what God intended for them because they think, I'm not worth anything anyways. I don't deserve anything anymore. I don't deserve anything better anyways. And so they settle for relationships that weren't, weren't God's best for them. They settle for things that weren't God's best for them. See, because a condemned person feels so alone, sometimes a condemned person can tend toward judging other people, condemning other people, because they're like, what? it's not fair that I feel this way. I want to make other people feel this way too. And so they become very judgmental and very critical and very condemning of others. Those are some problems that happen in our relationships when we live under condemnation. It causes us to tend to isolate ourselves from people. And then problem number four is when we live under condemnation, we distance ourselves from God. See, it doesn't just affect your relationships with people, but condemnation, more than anything else, affects our relationship with God. For example, in Genesis 3, when, when Adam and Eve sin against God, they disobey God's command, they're feeling condemned, what was the first thing they did? What did they do? They ran and they hid from God. They didn't want to have anything to do with God. They're afraid, they're ashamed, they're feeling guilty, they're feeling condemned. And the rest of the Bible is the story of God trying to win his people back from condemnation. See, look at 1 John 3, 21. It says this, it says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. See, in other words, God did not make you to live in constant condemnation, but he made you to live with confidence before God. And see, how can you go from a condemned heart to a heart at rest? Let's look at that together. We're going to look at Zechariah chapter 3. In Zechariah chapter 3, we're going to learn two very important things. In fact, I've never heard a message, a passage ever preached, or a message ever preached on this passage of Zechariah 3. In fact, it's actually one of my favorite passages in the whole entire Bible. We're going to look at it together right now. And in this passage, we're going to look and learn two important things. One is this, is that actually when it comes to condemnation, condemnation, you got to know, if you struggle with condemnation, get this. Condemnation isn't just something that others make you feel. It's not something that you impose on yourself. It's a weapon that Satan uses against you. And you're going to realize that you know, the Bible acknowledges the reality of Satan, the reality of spiritual warfare. Jesus says that the thief, that Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy your life. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And so in other words, there is this war going on between good and evil, between God and Satan over your life. God wants to give you life. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the ways he does it is through something called condemnation. And, and he does that in, in, in this way that we're going to see in Zechariah chapter 3. That's the first thing we want to learn. And the second thing we want to learn is that God takes the initiative to save us from our condemnation. And so let's look at Zechariah chapter 3 together right now. If you want some background on this one, this was written probably about approximately 500 years before Jesus was born, about possibly maybe 500 BC. And Zechariah, he's a prophet for the people of Judah. He's, he's starting this ministry and he receives a series of visions from God. And one of the visions is the one that we're going to read about today. And speaking of a few good men, and speaking of court battles, in this vision, Zechariah is going to envision a courtroom. And in this courtroom, God is standing in the court like a judge. And there's a high priest called Joshua who is on trial. We don't know what he's on trial for, but he's on trial and his life is at stake. And standing at God's right hand, accusing Joshua is Satan. And so let's take it up from Zechariah chapter three. It says in verse one, then he showed me Joshua the high priest 
standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Do you guys know that the name Satan actually means accuser? It's accusing us of the things that we've done wrong, accusing us of sin. Satan, his, his name means accuser, and he loves to accuse us before God and remind us of all the ways that we fail and don't measure up. Just like you're standing in a courtroom, there's a prosecutor who wants to remind the judge of all the ways you failed. This is the law he broke. He broke this law. He broke this law. He broke this law. Satan loves to do that with us. He loves to take God's word and hold it over our heads as if it's something where you failed in all these ways you need to be condemned. That is what Satan loves to do. And as Joshua is being condemned in this way, guess what? Joshua's actual physical appearance reflects it, is that his clothes are filthy. Look at Zechariah chapter three, verse three. It says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Now, when it says filthy, you gotta understand that that's a really soft, diplomatic, gentle way of saying it because the original Hebrew actually paints a much more graphic picture where Joshua, his clothes are covered in what is like human feces and urine. It's kind of like being covered in crap, covered in poo, in pee, in human excrement. And so Joshua's clothes, are, are they, they stink, they look awful, they're soiled, and it's a reflection on the outside of how worthless, how wrong, how condemned Joshua feels on the inside. And, and, and you know, how does God respond to Satan's accusations against Joshua? Look at Zechariah chapter three, verse two. It says, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? See, Joshua, he's the high priest for the people. And so he represents all of Jerusalem. He represents everybody there. In fact, in this case, he also represents you and me. That each single, every single one of us, we are accused by Satan of doing things that we regret, doing things that are wrong, disobeying God's word. Satan knows it, God knows it, we know it, and God and, and Satan loves loves to hold that over our head. And see, God says two things. He says, first he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. He says, is that God rebukes Satan? He's basically saying, shut your mouth, Satan. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does, he says, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? See, in other words, God knows that Joshua has messed up. God knows that Joshua deserves to be punished. In John chapter 15, Jesus, he's talking about himself when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a, man, if, a, if, if a man does not remain in me, he is like a branch that doesn't bear fruit, is picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. And see, so he's basically saying that if, if we don't live the life that God wants to live, we are like those people, is that we, we're like those branches that are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. But here in Zechariah chapter three, God is saying, I know this guy deserves to be burned. I know this guy hasn't lived the life that I want him to live, but I'm taking him out of the fire of my wrath. I'm taking him out. In other words, I'm showing mercy to Joshua. And not only does God speak these words of mercy over Joshua, but God does something else to reflect his mercy. Do you know what he does? He gives Joshua new clothes. Look at Zechariah chapter three, verse four and five. It says, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. See what's going on? Is it in place of our guilt, in place of our shame and our condemnation, God gives us new clothes to wear. He gives us a new beginning. He gives us a new start. He gives us a new life. Now the prophet Isaiah says something really similar. In Isaiah 64 verse six, he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. On all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. In other words, because God is so holy, because God is so perfect, because God is morally flawless and we are the opposite. We are not holy. We are not perfect. We're not morally flawless. That even our very best deeds. Even when we say, oh yeah, oh, if we're a good person, if I good, do, good, do good things, then you know, God's going to accept me. No, it, it's actually saying the opposite, is that even our very best good deeds in life are like filthy rags in God's eyes, because that's how holy God is. And see, it just goes to show that you can't earn your way to God. You can't come before God at the, on the day that you die, and you present a resume, and God's going, oh, I'm so impressed 
wow, you are such a good person. He's not going to say that. It's going to be, this is filthy rags in my sight. But because God loves us, he doesn't stop there. Instead, he says, instead of you trying to earn your way to me, I'm going to find a way to clothe you in my mercy. And Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. If you believe that, say amen. See, in other words, God wants to give us mercy to cover our mistakes. God wants to give us confidence to replace and cover our condemnation. And see, why is God able to do this? Well, look at Zechariah 3, verse 8 and 9. It says, Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I've set up in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. See, God is saying, I'm going to send someone to deal with your sin problem. He is called a few names in this. He's called my servant, verse eight. He's called the branch, verse nine. It's saying like, kind of like we are all like sticks that are to be burned in the fire. We're snatched out and there's a new branch that comes in our place. And then he's called the stone I've set in front of Joshua, also verse nine. And see, who is this servant? Who is this branch that takes our place? Who is that, who, who is that stone that God is talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And see, in fact, the name Jesus and the name Joshua, they're actually both derived from the same Hebrew name, Yeshua. It's like God is saying, to take the place of the old, dirty Joshua, I'm bringing in a new Joshua. His name is Jesus. And this new Joshua would remove the sins of the people in a single day. How? Is that when we were separate from God because of our sins, when we had no way of reaching him, God did something for us that we could never do ourselves. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we all could be forgiven, so that we could be brought back to God. And not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but to show you that you could trust every single word that Jesus says, Jesus rose again from the grave to show that you can place all of your trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand, a big shout. Let's place together right now. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. And see, speaking of Joshua being covered in filth, remember that? His clothes are soiled with human excrement, you know, and, and Jesus, this new Joshua is going to come and take his place. Get this, you know, they say that if you were living in ancient Rome, or in different cities that the Roman Empire occupied at that time, like Jerusalem. When you go to the public washroom, because they didn't have toilet paper at that time, if you use a public washroom, do you know how you would, and excuse me for being so graphic about it, but like, like, do you know how you would wipe yourself or wash yourself? Let me tell you how. Is apparently they said that when you, when you do your business, you know, they would, someone else would take a stick with a sponge at the end of it, they would dip it into some vinegar as a disinfectant, and then they would wipe your bum. They would wipe your rear end that way to disinfect and to clean your, your, your rear end. Why do I mention that? It's because you know that in the Gospels, when Jesus was hanging up on the cross, and Jesus is almost dying, and he's saying, I'm thirsty. Do you know what they gave Jesus to drink? They gave Jesus a sponge on a stick dipped in wine vinegar. Could it, could it be that on that day when Jesus was dying on the cross, that the same thing the Romans used to wipe their own backsides is what they fed into Jesus' mouth? And that to think the last scent that was in Jesus' nose, the last taste that was in Jesus' mouth was our own human feces. And see, it's, you know, what, this is the new Joshua taking over for the old Joshua. The old Joshua is covered in feces. Now Jesus, the new Joshua, he's covered in our feces. And like a sponge, Jesus absorbs all of that humiliation, all of that condemnation, all of our mess, so that we would need to not carry that anymore. See, isn't that amazing what Jesus does for you and for me? Isn't it how great his love is for you and for me? And see, Zechariah 3 is really a picture pointing forward to what God would do for us through Jesus Christ. That's why John 3, 17 to 18 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God did not make you to live in condemnation. He made you to live in confidence and to rescue and save you from condemnation. God sent Jesus Christ and he did that for you and for me. So the cure for our condemnation is Christ. The cure for our condemnation is having a relationship with Jesus. That's why Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Turn neighbor and say, God's love is amazing. God's love is amazing. See, how do you, how do we rest from condemnation? What do we do in response to all of this? Let me give you three ways that we can respond and rest from condemnation. The first is this. If you struggle with condemnation, if you want to rest from condemnation, here's what you can do. Number one, receive and believe what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. See, receive and believe what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Not what you've done, what God has done. And see, notice that in Zechariah 3, God didn't require Joshua to clean up his own act. God didn't require Joshua to clean his own clothes. He could never get them clean enough if he tried all by himself. Instead, what does God do? He says, let me do it for you. Let me give you a change of clothes. All you need to do, Joshua, is let me change your clothes. Like a baby, like their diaper needing to be changed. All, all you need to do is let me change you. John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. It's about receiving what God has done. Not depending on what you do, but what, on what Jesus has done for you and me. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I was actually in my own little court battle myself, uh, believe it or not. I was in a court uh, fighting a traffic ticket, and it was my own traffic ticket. Uh, what happened was I was driving one day, this is months and months ago, and uh, I was pulled over because I was told that I'd failed to obey a traffic device. You know, no one was hurt. It was, a, you know, it, was a, you know, it was just a simple situation between me and a police officer. And, and, and they said, you know what, yeah, you need to pay this fine. And because I didn't want to pay the fine, and because I didn't want the insurance points, and because I thought I had a really good defense, I went into court prepared to fight this charge. And you know, I came with evidence. I came with photos of the scene. I came with eyewitness testimony, namely my own. And I was ready to show the judge and ready to show the police officer that that traffic sign is really not clearly visible to the average driver like me. And so therefore I've got a defense. And that was my defense. And, and see, I go to the courthouse. I'm ready to fight this case. And, and the judge says to me, I, I, I go in, like, like, let me just put it this way. I, I went to the courthouse. There's a super friendly police officer. Not the police officer who pulled me over, but, no, but another police officer. Super friendly. He's like, oh, super, super nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And, and I go into the courtroom and there in the courtroom, uh, I see there's just, it's, it's just the judge. I'm like, we're, I, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, where, where's the police officer? It's just the judge who's there. And, uh, and, and, and she, she asks me to confirm my identity. I tell her, and then, and then this judge says to me, she says, uh, you know, the officer who gave you this ticket could not be here today because he didn't receive notice of this hearing for some reason. And he actually doesn't, and I spoke to him earlier today, he actually doesn't have any notes or memory of what happened. So I'm here to decide your case and I decide based on a lack of evidence, you're free to go. Case dismissed, all right? And, and I was like, oh, yeah. I, 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 of course, didn't say that. And I was, I, I was of course, very cordial. You know, th th thank you, my worship. Thank you. That's what you call the judge, my worship. Thank you, my worship. And, and, and I left the court really happy. And I'm, I'm walking out of the courthouse, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm singing to myself, and I'm walking, and all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like, I, I don't have any record of this. Like, like, it was just me and the judge. What, what, what if that was just a, you know, what, 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 I, I think I need something in writing for this. So you want, I ran back into the court house. I went back to the courtroom and I said, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, my worship, uh, could, could, I, could I get your name? And she's like, why do you want my name? And, and I said, well, because uh, I have no record of what happened here. And she's like, oh, you know what, I've got some extra time, uh, so let me, let me actually, I was going to give you a piece of paper weeks later to con confirm my decision, but let me, let me give that to you right now. And so she, she, she sent up a piece of paper upstairs. I went up to the, to the, to the, to the registry upstairs. The clerk gives me this document uh, that says case dismissed, and then says, and he says to me, today's your lucky day. I'm like, amen, amen. And see, here's the thing. Why do I mention that? See, on that day in court, 
I didn't need to fight. I think God was fighting for me. And all I had to do was stand there and receive and believe what God did for me. I wanted to fight, but then it was, I didn't need to. And that's the same thing with you, with God, is that you don't need to fight and prove your case. In fact, you're, probably, you're gonna lose that case if you try to fight it. But the fact is, you don't need to worry because God sent Jesus Christ for you. You just need to receive and believe what Jesus has done for you, amen. Romans 8, 31 to 34 says it this way. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Amen. See, in my courtroom battle, my accuser didn't show up. For some reason, my accuser was no longer there. Likewise, right now, as you put your trust in Jesus, as you stand before God, know this your accuser is nowhere to be found anymore. Is that it's because Jesus Christ has trampled your accuser under his feet. And so do you know who's standing at the right hand of God now? Before in Zechariah 3, who was at God's right hand? It was Satan accusing. But now who's at God's right hand? It's Jesus, the son of God, interceding for you and for me. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Amen. It's Jesus interceding for you. It's Jesus standing at God's right hand, speaking on your behalf, pleading your case. That's how much you're loved by God. And see, now there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All you need to do is receive it. Turn to your neighbor and say, make sure you receive it. Make sure you receive it. Amen. Amen. And so that's why we're kind of laughing a few weeks ago when uh, Pastor Shar was talking about my driving. And praise God, I, I think I'm a pretty careful driver, but praise God, I'm also someone who's very much a recipient of God's mercy and grace. Amen. Amen. Number two, reject Satan's taunts and fill your mind with God's word. If you want to not live in condemnation, but you want to rest from condemnation, then you want to reject Satan's taunts and fill your mind with God's word. So you remember, God has at his right hand no longer Satan accusing, but it's Jesus the Son interceding. Jesus the Son has, this, has Satan trampled under his feet. And so still to this day, because you know, condemnation is a daily battle, and you're going to find still to this day, you might find that under Jesus' feet, you can still hear these whimpers and these whispers and these whines from Satan going, hey, remember what you did there? Remember what you did there? Remember what you did last night? Remember what, and, and, and you have all these little things that you, and you have a choice because it's a daily battle. Am I gonna listen to what the enemy, the accuser says, or am I gonna listen to what the judge and what Jesus say? And we need to make the choice. Could you imagine? I've got now these two documents. I've got the original ticket that I was given. And I'm, I've got this document that says I'm not guilty. I've got these two dogs. Could you imagine that, you know, the one came after the other? And, 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 you know, could you imagine if even after I was, the case is dismissed, even after the judge declares you are free to go, no problem. That, could you imagine if I still, to this day, hung on to the ticket and go, oh, I'm such a bad driver. Oh, what's wrong with, something wrong with me. Oh, the charge against me. Oh, there's something wrong with me. You know what, that's old news, man. That's old news. The good news, the real news is that you are forgiven. The good news is that you are set free. That's the good news. But you need to make the choice on a daily basis and ask which voice am I gonna listen to? See, finding rest from condemnation, it is a daily battle. And the next time you hear Satan's taunts, you need to make a choice, say, what am I gonna listen to? You know, Jesus, you know, in Matthew chapter three, he gets baptized and you know, he gets baptized, he goes in the water, he gets baptized, he comes in, he comes, comes back out as an example for you and for me. He wasn't doing because he wasn't doing because he was a sinner. Jesus had no sin, but as an example to set for you and for me who would follow him, he gets baptized. And that's why, that's why if you trust in Jesus, the next thing you do after you declare your faith in Jesus, one way to declare it, one essential, important way to declare it is you get baptized. I encourage you to do that if you haven't already. And see, Jesus, he gets baptized. And the moment he comes out of the water. Matthew chapter 3 says that you have all three persons of God there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lands on Jesus like a dove and the Father, his voice is heard from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. 
That's what he says about Jesus' son. I love you. You're my son. I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. That's what God, the the father, says about Jesus, the son. And guess what happens right after that? Right after that, right after that amazing moment, Jesus is led by the spirit to be tempted by the devil in the desert. Jesus, he's fasting 40 days. He's preparing for his ministry, his public ministry. And at the end of that 40 days, Satan comes to him when Jesus is at his weakest and he starts to taunt Jesus. What does he say? He says, well, if you are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread right now? If you are the son of God, what is Satan doing? He's attacking the very thing that God said about Jesus. He's, he's going after the very thing that God the Father said about Jesus the Son, and he's questioning it. He's taunting him. He's like, if you are, are you really? Do you think you really are? How could you be? Really? You think you are? You think you are the Son of God? You think you're loved by God? You think God is pleased with you? Yeah, prove it. Prove it to me. You know, like, turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus do? Is that Jesus fights back with the word of God. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What was Jesus doing? He was using God's word as his weapon against, against the taunts of Satan. And, and see, and he would do that over and over. In fact, he'd do that three times. With every temptation that Satan threw at Jesus, Jesus fought back with the word of God. What's the lesson here? Is that if you want to not listen to Satan's taunts, you need a weapon against him, and that is the word of God. And see, that's why, you know, you need to fill your mind with the word of God. Reject Satan's taunts, fill your mind with the word of God. His positive, encouraging word, his affirming word about who you are, reminding you of who you are in Christ. See, that's why coming to church to hear God's word is so important. That's why having a game time, what we call our God and me experience time, having, just getting into God's word every day is important. You know, at, at TDS, throughout the public school, you know, we, we teach you several different ways that you can fill your life with God's word. One of them is to memorize. God's word. See, when you're in the middle of a fight, the fact is, in a physical state, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before. Have you been in a fight before? You know, the fact is, if you've, if you've ever been in a fight before, and when you're in the middle of a fight, you don't have time to start researching on your phone new weapons that you can use against your enemy. You're like, you're, 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 in, a, you're, you're, in, you're in some kind of headlock or some kind of submission move, and oh, let me just get my phone to scroll, scroll, scroll. Amazon, do you have any new weapons? You're not going to do that. You don't have time to do that. What, what are you going to do when you're in a fight? You're going to use whatever you have at your disposal at that time. And that's why it's so important to memorize God's word because in the middle of a battle against Satan and condemnation, you don't have time to search the scriptures for, oh, there's something new to help me right now. You need it in your heart. You need it where you already are. And that's why memorizing God's word is so important. That's why getting God's word into you, whether you feel like it or not, getting it into you so that it's ready for you to use whenever you're in a battle is so important. How do you memorize God's word? We talk about them throughout the subject of school. In fact, the kids, it's easy to do. Thrive Kids, in fact, they're starting a scripture memory challenge. Let's give a big hand to all of our Thrive Kids right now. Some of them are even watching right now. Proud of you guys. You can totally do it. And uh, you, you're going to get a little gift card at the end as their prize. But the real prize is they get God's word in their heart. And, and see, here's the same thing for you and for me. If the kids need God's word, how much more do you and I need God's word? Fact is this. I want to encourage you to get God's word in your heart. And, oh, but I've got a bad memory. Let me tell you this. Is, you know, like, what's, what's your address? You know your address, right? What's your phone number? You know your phone number, right? Is it because your phone number is super easy to memorize? No, it's because it's important to you. God's word is that important to you. What's your anniversary if you're married? Bad example. No, some of you guys don't remember your anniversary, but the fact is, if it's important enough to you, you will remember it. God's word is that important. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I remember, you know, when I look back now, at the time that, you know, when I first became a Christian, how as a young Christian, is that probably when I look back now, I wouldn't have told this to you maybe five years ago, but looking back now, I realize even more how important it is. You know, I think the most important habit I built as a young Christian, this is like grade nine, grade 10, grade 11, was, was just memorizing scripture. I'd be reading the Bible and I'd be finding places in the Bible where like, I'd just be reading the Bible and I'd find a verse that I kind of liked. I'd just kind of commit it to memory. I'd start to, and, and it's, not, it's, not, it's not sexy. There's nothing you know, exciting about it, but you're just, you're just kind of getting it into your heart. And you know, I remember I'd, I'd be, I was starting to work out at the time. I had these really, these, these tiny 10 pound weights and I'd be like, you know, trying to memorize James. Like, Consider a period joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so you can become mature and complete. You know, 
and not knocking anything if any of you lives. And, and I, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be trying to memorize these things and trying to work out at the same time. I remember going to UBC. I'd be driving on, on 4th Avenue, going to UBC, and have my, 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 my Bible open in the passenger seat. And, and, and at stoplights, I would, I would look over and try to memorize. That was a really dangerous way to do it. I wouldn't, don't, don't, don't recommend you do that. But that was me trying to get the word of God into my heart. And see, what is that? It's about getting God's word in your heart so you have something to fight with in your battle against condemnation. Amen. James chapter one, verse 25 says this, speaking of James, it says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that gives freedom, uh, that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. See, it's this idea that you want to get God's word into your heart, into your mind. Satan loves to remind you of all the ways you've failed, all the mistakes you've made, the ways others have hurt you. You need to go in the opposite direction and remind ourselves of who God says you are and what God says about you. Amen. Amen. Finally, if you want to rest in condemnation, you want to do this. Number three is walk in the new life God has for you. God wants you to walk in the new life he has for you. First John chapter three, verse 18 to 20, it says this. Would you read it with me? It says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. See, what is it saying? It's saying, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. This is how we set our hearts at rest whenever our hearts want to condemn us. And you know, I was, I was kind of struggling with these verses this past week because, you know, I'm looking at 1 John 3 and I, I'm hoping that 1 John 3 would simply say, oh, if you declare that Jesus loves you, that's how you set your heart at rest. Or if you sing a song to Jesus, that's when you set your heart at rest. Or if you read your Bible, that's when you set your heart at rest. Now, not, don't get me wrong. Those are all important things we need to do. But what is 1 John chapter 3 telling us? is that if you want rest from condemnation, it's not enough just to believe and receive what God has done for you. It's not enough just to, you know, to fill your mind with God's word. It's not enough just to sing a song or declare you believe in Jesus or read your Bible even, but even more, it's about stepping into the new life that God has for you. It's about living a new way, not repeating the same mistakes you made before, which led to the condemnation in the first place. You know, one of the most famous you know, accounts of Jesus is in John chapter eight, where Jesus, he's, he's, you know, with this, uh, this group of people who bring to him this woman who's caught in adultery. And you know, the people around, they want to stone her based on the law of Moses. And, you know, Jesus, you know, he says, you know, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And, and, you know, and, he, and, and what, what he does is he, he, he watches and the people who want to stone this girl, they, they all walk away because every single person, none of them could say that they're without sin. And, and there's so much we can unpack from that. But this is what happens in verse 9, uh, in verse 10, sorry, it says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Verse 11, No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Didn't notice he didn't say, I don't condemn you. Go and just keep on doing your sin. He said, Go and sin no more. It's because the fact is that when you know there's no condemnation in Jesus, it gives you the power to live a new life. When you know that you are not condemned anymore, that gives you power to live a new life. Because the fact is, you know, there's a couple things that happen when you know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. First is when you know that God doesn't condemn you, you can stop condemning yourself. You can stop beating yourself up. Instead, you can see yourself in a new way. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're empowered to live a brand new life. You know, sometimes we, we live in such a self-condemning way that, you know, our body listens to it and, and bo the, our body wants to punish ourselves. And that, that, sometimes that's the reason why we get sick. You know, that's sometimes the reason why we, we go through what we go through. But when you start to think of yourself as I'm a new creation, there is no condemnation of those who are Christ Jesus. It changes your life from the inside out. And you start to be able to live and be empowered in a new way to live for Jesus. The second thing that happens when you know that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus is you stop condemning others so much. You stop judging other people so much. You know, it really kind of breaks my heart sometimes when you see on the internet, there's you know, so many people who seem to make it their life calling or their ministry to attack other people's ministries. 
and, and like it's kind of like they, they have websites where they, oh this person's a false prophet this person's a false teacher this person and and, and you know, don't get me wrong I, I it's not that you know that we, we need to guard against false teaching absolutely but there's some people who, who's almost like they're bent on condemning and criticizing other people God didn't make us to live that kind of life. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When when you act that way, when you're always pointing out other people's faults, always condemning other people, let me ask you this, always accusing other people, are you more like Jesus who intercedes or are you more like Satan who accuses? The fact is that God wants us to be more like his son, Jesus. And when we live knowing that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, we can then forgive a lot more easily. We can let go a lot more easily. We can love and bear with others in love more easily. And so let's do that together. Let's walk in the new life that God has for us. You weren't made to live in condemnation. You were made to live in the confidence that only God makes possible through Jesus Christ. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Amen. Right now, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to God, knowing that we're not just here to give you information, but we want to lead you to Jesus, who makes transformation possible. And I want to encourage you right now, if you're here and you uh, you know this message is for you, I want to encourage you just to respond to God right now. We learned today that if you want to rest from condemnation, then what you need to do is you need to receive and believe what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you've never done that before. You've never received and believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. I'm here to tell you that because God loved you, he sent Jesus Christ for you such that you could be forgiven of your sins. He died on the cross and took on all our mess like a sponge. He took it on so that we could be set free from our sin, be forgiven. And if you want that forgiveness, if you want peace with God, then I want to encourage you today to pray this prayer. There's a, there's a QR code that you can scan. There's a link you can, you can click on your chat room. And if that's you and you know that you realize that you need God's forgiveness for sin, you realize that without Jesus, you don't know what you're going to do and, you know, when you stand before God, then, then, then that's a great place to be. I encourage you to pray this prayer with us. And so that you're not praying it alone, I'm going to pray this prayer with you. I encourage you to scan that QR code, click that link, and we're just going to pray this prayer together right now. Are you guys ready? At the end of the day, it's not so much the words you speak as the attitude of your heart that counts, but let's pray this prayer together right now. Let's pray this. You can say, Dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart. I ask you, Please forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, then the Bible says you are forgiven of your sins. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, you don't have to worry about, oh, will God forgive me? Will God forgive me? God has already forgiven you. And he looks at you as acceptable in his sight, worthy to be in his presence. He calls you not just that, he calls you your child, his, his child. You're part of God's family. And we encourage you to make the most of that decision. If you, got, if you prayed that prayer just now, there's a little gift that we want to give to you. There's a little link at the end of that, that, that page where you, see that, where you prayed that prayer. I invite you to click that link. Uh, and uh, check out that resource, that gift to give to you. In addition, I encourage you to get baptized. It's, it's just a simple way of saying, I prayed this prayer to receive Jesus. I believe in him. And I encourage you to get baptized. Go to mythrob.info for more info on how to get baptized. And if you have questions about baptism, you can check that out as well. Lastly, for those of you who are here, maybe you've already trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and yet you still struggle with condemnation. You, you still, maybe you still read your Bible every day, but you have the, still the struggle with condemnation. You maybe serve God, but you have the struggle with condemnation. If that's you, then this moment is for you. God wants you to know that he didn't make you to live in condemnation. He made you to live in confidence before him. And if that's you and you realize that that's, that's a struggle for you, you often think about ways that you messed up. You often think about failures from your past. You often say to yourself these self-condemning words and to pronounce a sentence on yourself that isn't life-giving. You know, you often think about the hurts that people you know, inflict on you. If that's you, it's time to turn the page. It's time for a new start. I want to encourage you right now just to lift your hand to God right now and let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him today. And I want to encourage you right now, just even in your own words, just to start, start talking to God right now. We just start talking to God and just you know, think about some of the things we talked about today and just respond to God. Thank God for his love. Thank God that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank God that in, in Jesus, you got a brand new set of clothing. In, that in, in Jesus, you have 
have you know, not a sentence, a death sentence declared over you, but you have God's plan, God's purpose declared over your life. Would you just do that right now? Just start talking to God in your own words. Don't wait for me to stop talking. Just start talking to God right now. He loves you. Respond to God. He's with you right now. Don't worry about your neighbor. It doesn't concern them. This between you and God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. That's it, church. Respond to God. He loves you so much. Riddle, he loves you so much. Just respond to God right now. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you so much, Jesus, that in you there is power to get rid of our sin. In you there is power to live a brand new life. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just break off the power of hurtful words that have been spoken over some people who are watching right now. We break off the power of hurtful things that were done in their lives, even when they were a kid. Things that still, you know, kind of are in their memory to this day. We just break off the power of that right now. Even stuff that they've done, mistakes that made, even something that, that maybe happened last night. We just, we just say in Jesus' name, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That our accuser is under your feet. And now now we are blameless, acceptable, worthy in your sight, and so we thank you today. I pray, Father, for every single person here who's ever struggled with condemnation, that God, that they would reject Satan's taunts and fill their minds with the word of God, that they would allow your word to transform their minds, renew their minds, so they can live a brand new life with you. And since, you know, condemnation is a daily battle, will you help them to fill their minds with the word of God and to walk in the new life that you have for them, forgiving others forgiving themselves, knowing that in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. There is rest from condemnation. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. There's more than that. God, give God all of your praise in this place right now. Praise God. We're going to do this right now. We're going to give God our praise. Since he is the one who's worthy of all our praise, it's time to give him our praise. Let's continue to worship God through the song. At the same time, those you call throughout church, your home church, you just believe the work that God is doing here. It's time to give your faithful tithes, your generous offerings. Know that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need, and he builds his church and expands his kingdom through us. And so let's give together right now. Let's give God our worship right now. Praise God, the best is yet to come.
Today. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your unconditional, incredible, amazing love for every single one of us. Your humble, gentle, strong, courageous, contagious love for every single one of us. We thank you so much today that we can come before you just as we are and know that there is a mercy that's bigger than our mistakes. There is a plan that is bigger than our pain. There's a God who's writing a greater story with our lives. And we thank you today. With that in mind, we pray all of your blessing on every single person here, your peace, your protection, your comfort, your healing, your strength, your wisdom, your Holy Spirit to fill every single person here. But since it's all for you, it's all about you. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. May we live for your glory. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now once again? That brings our service to a close, but the worship continues. Let's continue to worship God throughout the week in all that we do. Praise God. The best is yet to come. Take care, everybody. Love you guys. See you guys really soon. Thank you, Pastor JB. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements. If it's your first time here, you're a VIP, so please let us know by texting NEW at 604-285-5770 and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. 
If you prayed a prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life today, congratulations with a gift package I want to send to you, as well as a series of videos that may answer some questions that you have about Jesus. Just text BELIEVE at 604-285-5770 or go to MyThrive.info. And if you'd like to get baptized, visit MyThrive.info slash baptism. As Pastor JB said in his message today, Thrive Kids is having their Bible verse alphabet challenge. So our children will be learning a list of verses through A to Z through songs and activities. This is a perfect opportunity for our children to be remembering God's words in their hearts at a young age in a very fun way. So if you're a parent and you're looking for an activity for your kids to do, don't forget to sign up at mytharkerinfo slash thrivekids. Did you enjoy today's message? Join us again next week for episode six of our Hearts at Rest message series. So that's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings, and I'll see you all here next week at Thrive Church Online. 